Listener Production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. This new episode of The Wellness Collective, we're speaking with Dr. Brett Hill, chiropractor, podcaster and author, and we talk about what it is to actually hit rock bottom. We also ask the question, why you asking yourself the question, who am I, may be the most important thing that you can do for yourself when you do feel like you hit rock bottom, why vulnerability is essential, and the one thing that you can do when you do find yourself in this position. We hope that you enjoy this next episode of The Wellness Collective. So sometimes, Cecilia, we have guests that are just so great, we just get them back Mm, again. I think we need... um, Again and again. We need a little thing that says... Here's our semi-regular person, or at <laughs> least two. I don't think we've ever had anybody more than twice. We have actually, but anyway, that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> really? We've had Sean on a few times. Two. Because we, three. He's three. on three because we had separate oh, things. Oh, enough of and him. We, we ne- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sean. No, we love you. Anyway, no, our guest today was on not long ago. His name is Brett Hill. Yes. And he was talking to us about resilience not that long ago, but today he's got a different topic. So well, we said, all right, come back. Absolutely, because I love that, you know, that also we are always learning, we're always mm. growing, and there's always new things that we need to hear. But I love, I have to say, Brett, thank you for being back again today. Brett's been amazing. I've obviously been through some challenges as of late. If nobody's up to speed with that, well, that's good. Let's keep it that way. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Where, you know, you can get some bad press and some bad attention and things can feel pretty low. You can get to a point where, you know, you might wake up one day and you just kind of decide maybe this is as bad as it gets for this day or this era or whatever it might be. And actually, I have to say, Brett reached out a few times to make sure that I have been okay during that time, which is so appreciative. But I think also when you've been through challenges that are very similar to what you can see somebody else going through, you can have a different level of compassion and understanding as to people that want to be there for you, but maybe haven't been through it. And, Mm. you know, it's not their fault. Empathy is what it is. Correct. Exactly. So I'm excited to chat with Brett today because he has released another book and it's really all about rock bottom, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it is, it's a massive thing, you know, when you do get to that stage of sort of hitting your rock bottom and uh, and the way it changes you, you know, I I can totally relate to what you're just saying because, you know, I kind of look back on my career uh, pre-hitting rock bottom and think, wow, like I was a bit naive, you know, and I didn't have the same degree of empathy that I have now and I didn't have the same degree of understanding that I have now. And, uh, you know, you can kind of look back at those events with the benefit of hindsight and sort of think, well, you know, I'm glad that happened. And, you know, there's been a lot of learning and growth and all those things that have happened as a result of that. But it doesn't feel like that at the time. No, no. at all. Can I just say welcome? Because we didn't really welcome you. He's <laughs> oh, a president, we decided. It's <laughs> that was a great welcome. I loved it. <laughs> so and uh, I'm just not sure now whether I've like hit the end of my tether and I'm just like banned because I've been on twice. No. Or whether I'm now a semi-regular. Well, I wasn't quite sure which way you were going about, with that. I don't think we've decided. So yeah. let's just see what else you've got in your bag of tricks, hey? Oh, Pressure's oh, on. I think it is interesting though because the idea of hitting rock bottom, whether it's like you're you're referring to in a sense it was something to do with your career but it can be emotional it can be in a relationship it can be parenting it can be in your job whatever it can things. be or it, it can, can be, be all of them at once as it, we've been talking well, about absolutely it can all hit in one all go at one time a bit yeah. but how do you actually figure that no oh, this is this is as bad as it's going to get is that a mindset 
Well, I, I can tell you how I did, but yeah, mine was kind of a little bit all at once. So I literally, I had um, my wife at the time uh, tell me that she was going to leave me, which was just a total shock to me. So that, that just came absolutely out of nowhere. And like three weeks or maybe two or three weeks later, I got this massive letter from APRA and it was very similar to some of the stuff Nat has been going through. So what's APRA? Just fill us in. Australian Health Practitioner Regulatory Authority, I think. And there's an H on the end there. I don't know what that is. Mm. (laughs) Anyway, they regulate chiropractors. They regulate all health professionals, whether you're mainstream medicine or complementary medicine. So they're the governing body. Big. Big. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, yeah, so they had some issues with, you know, stuff I'd said in previous books and stuff I'd said on my website and, and a whole range of different things that they thought were problematic. And so I kind of got both at once. It was like a lovely timing. So I was like far out. But you asked about rock bottom. Yeah, for me, um, hitting rock bottom, it's interesting. Like it wasn't either of those events that actually caused me to hit rock bottom. You know, both of those things happened and sent me into an absolute tailspin. And what, hit, what caused me to hit rock bottom, though, was kind of what I did about that. You know, so the way I responded to that and the way I tried to deal with that, and that was actually, I think, what pushed me towards rock bottom. So rock bottom for me was a point of getting to the point where I just literally physically, emotionally went, I just cannot keep doing this anymore. I can't keep doing what I've been doing because it's just not working and I feel like I'm going to break. Like I feel like I'm going to snap in half something really bad is going to happen if I don't make a change right now. But did you have uh, that, sorry to cut you off, but did you actually have that perspective at the time or was there actually a question of, I don't actually think I want to go on anymore. I don't actually think I can go on anymore. Like, you know, when you're in it, it's very hard to have the perspective that it could be better. Mm. I think we lack that unless we've been in it enough times to remind ourselves, I've been here before, you know, it, it got better last time. It's going to get better again. But I think that that moment of the bottom, there yeah. is definitely a, oh, can I yeah. really be bothered? Like, well, I don't know. Was that yeah, the case for you? It's it's interesting. And one of my favourite quotes has always been, you know, this too shall pass. You know, mm-hmm. and so that's something I've always stuck by. But, you know, it's <laughs> in the moment that's hard to see. You know, it's hard to believe. And so personally, I never got to the point where I contemplated ending it all. Yeah, um, and, and I know a lot of people do get to that point and I can totally understand and empathize with them. I think now from being at the, the mm. point that I got to, um, but I never got to that point, which I don't, I don't know if it's good or bad or whatever, no, but anyway, I, great, I didn't. But, um, but, but, I, but I got to a point where it wasn't, I don't think even that I was thinking there was something better or that it could get better or that it was, you know, hope for the future. It was literally just to the point where it's like, I can't physically keep doing what I'm doing. Like mm. I, it was just so flat and so burnt out and so struggling that I was like, I, I just have to do something different. And, think, and that was, that's all I felt. You know, it, it wasn't hopeful, but it was just, I have yeah, to do something different. Mm. I think it's very difficult though, when you've got external forces telling you that what you've done isn't good enough. Yeah. And so it's very easy to have those conversations about, you know, got to love yourself, put yourself first, blah, 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 all those, which we do. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. like when you're in it, yeah, well, that's <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but when you're in that headspace and you've got, you know, governing bodies telling you chunky letters that you've done the wrong thing and you've got your wife yeah. saying, no, I don't want to be here anymore. Like they're huge things that you can't control. It doesn't matter how much you love yourself and how much, you know, positive yeah. affirmation you give. You can't control those things. And so... You can only control you. At some really point, at point you, you have to, yeah. T- mm-hmm. How did you take that step and go, okay, those things I can't control. What can I do? 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's a huge step. So I think it was, um, you know, because the first thing I did, and, and I did feel a lot of pressure from that, and I definitely had a lot of feelings of not being good enough. Mm. And especially as a father, I think that was where it hit me the most, where, you know, really up until that point, my whole sort of why, my whole motivation for everything I do was, you know, wanting to create a healthy environment to raise my kids in, you know, wanting to create a healthy world to raise my kids in, you know, the whole sort of house and the white picket fence and the two mm. and a half kids and that, that whole thing. And and I kind of, in, in some ways, I felt like I'd got there, you know, and that's always a big warning sign. <laughs> you feel like you've got there. Yes. Something's about this to come awesome. in the pants. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and I, and I really felt like that had been pulled out from under me. So I definitely had a lot of that, you know, those feelings of failure and those feelings of not being good enough. And it wasn't the divorce or the you know, professional challenges that caused me to not feel good enough. Like they were a symptom of something that had been there for way longer. Mm. Um, and, and that's sort of a big part of the journey. But I, I also felt a lot of additional pressure on top of that, I think, because uh, I was an author, because I was a podcaster, because I'd been someone who'd been on stage, you know, kind of telling people how to do things and personal development and, and all of those sort of things. And, and I've been really fortunate, you know, I'd interviewed people, I'd interviewed thousands of different people and, you know, literally heard from the best of the best of how to deal with stress and challenges yeah. and all that. So, so I kind of you know, externally and internally felt a lot of pressure. And, and that was my biggest downfall at the start was literally trying to use all of those tools that I knew kind of all at once <laughs> and trying to fix everything like instantly. Like, you know, I was like, well, I should be the, you know, world record holder for fixing this and getting it back on track. And, yeah. you know, I can fix it. I've got all the tools. You're very sort of male uh, mindset. You know, here's a problem. I'm going to fix it yeah. and, uh, and then it'll be better. No worries. And, and it was that process of just trying so hard to fix everything so quickly that I think really led me to beat myself up, you know, in that I was, you know, taking blame for absolutely everything. You know, you talk about that sort of external stuff. Well, I, I took like 100% of the blame mm. for everything that had gone on because I was like, well, you know, from my personal development mindset, I'm going to take personal responsibility <laughs> and I'm going to take personal responsibility for all of it and then fix it and make it happen. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and in that process, I lacked a lot of empathy for myself and I lacked a lot of self-love, as you mentioned before. I know we'll talk about that in a bit because that was a really important part of the sort of journey. And, and in that process of sort of lacking the empathy and self-love and taking 100% of the blame, I really beat myself up. And that was actually what drove me to my rock bottom, mm. not necessarily what happened to me, but the way I dealt with what happened to me. The other question that I have when we sort of are at that point and we're very in it and the emotions are high and we're vulnerable, I guess, to a yeah. degree if we allow ourselves to be, is, and I don't know about for you, but I think for me, getting to a point where I didn't actually, it didn't matter what anyone else thought, but there's a, pro, there's a time when it first happens that you think to yourself, jeepers, what's everyone going to think? What's everyone else yeah. going to think of me if I've mm. failed in this, that or the other? Yeah. And what's very interesting, I think, is that, you know, as we can call ourselves middle-aged now, can't we really? Oh, no. But <laughs> as, as a woman in my 40s and all of the life experiences, all of the encounters with people that I had and having, I'm talking personally here, but having a reasonable profile where people could draw a conclusion and most of the time not know me was actually all of the things that you've ever done up until now actually shape how people might see you. And that is not even necessarily who you are, but at least it's some type of representation, especially if there's con consistency there. Mm -hmm. And that anyone that actually does have their right mind about themselves would actually work out that, you know, there is no judgment or there might be questions or whatever it might be. But it was very interesting. That was in my initial 
response that, you know, the last time I sort of felt like it was at the bottom of the pit was what's everyone going to think? And then once I got past yeah. that, I was like, it doesn't actually matter what everyone thinks. But Everyone's, when you're in that moment, it's really anyway. hard. Mm. It's really hard. Did you find that you felt like that as well? Your peers, I know you spoke about people that you'd shared with on stage, but there was a moment of like family and, and loved ones and, and the judgment. Yeah, absolutely. It's massive, you know, and, and in many ways that's the beauty of hitting rock bottom. Like as in when, when you really get down to that level, I, first of all, I think you realise that no one cares about you as much as you think they do. <laughs> no one thinks about you as much as you think they do. <laughs> so, that's a good so, wake-up like, call for everybody. About what they think. They're just not even thinking anything. No, right? no. <laughs> um, but, but the second thing is I think when you do hit that rock bottom is you, you do go into that full-on like self-preservation mode where you're like, okay, I just need to survive here. And when you're, you know, when you're in the desert searching for water, you know, you don't care what everyone else thinks. Like it's just not even relevant, you know. So it is actually a, a wonderful opportunity to reset, you know, and to actually put yourself first and say, okay, now I'm going to work on myself and, and try and get myself back on track. Because you realize that, you know, when you're at that rock bottom, you can't do anything for any, you're no good to anybody. Um, mm. And I know that's something people say all the time and you kind of, you know, intellectually realize it, but you don't realize how true it is until mm. you get there and go like, I'm just kind of a blubbering mess right now. And I'm literally no good to anyone. And I don't even feel like getting out of bed, let alone, you know, going and helping anyone with anything else or talking to anyone or, you know, anything of that nature. So uh, in many ways, I think that can be the, the blessing of hitting rock bottom. Mm. Do you think though, I mean, I, lo- I love that you're talking about this because men often find the vulnerability to say, I'm not in a good place, very difficult. And that's sadly yeah. why we do have a lot of men that take their own life and it's higher rate than in women because, you know, we like yeah. to natter things out and then after we've gone, blah, 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 oh, actually it doesn't, it's not often as big as we thought it was, you know. But how did you go through that process of vulnerability where you decided that, okay, I can actually get my story out I can, by doing that, I'm assuming you worked through it and that was good for you, but it was also beneficial for other men, I guess, too. Yeah, it's been really interesting seeing the response to sort of sharing this story because, yeah, it is definitely something that's resonated with with men and with women, actually, way more than I thought it would, mm. which is fascinating. And, uh, you know, I think it is important for men to understand that they can do it. So, you know, I've always been a pretty honest person. I'm, I'm a really shit liar. So, <laughs> Me too. Yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? I swore, but hopefully that's okay. But yeah, I've always been a terrible liar. And so I've always been a bit of a brutally honest person, kind of for good or bad. And um, I guess in my role as an author and a podcaster, I've kind of always felt like it was my responsibility, to be honest, and to sort of just share everything, you know, sort of what's and all. So, you know, I, I always tried to do that. And in many ways, that was easier before, you know, all this stuff happened. And <laughs> when, when it really hits the fan, that's when you really get tested. But but I still kind of felt like it was my responsibility to be honest and to share. And so that somewhat came naturally to me, I think. But it also, there was definitely a sense of kind of obligation, you know, that mm. in, in our modern world where people are so surrounded by social media and so surrounded by the best of the best of everyone's stories, I really felt an obligation to just tell the truth and to say, look, this is where I'm at. And also I kind of realised that that was best for me as well because yeah. people would be slightly more understanding if I was, you know, well, AWOL else, or I didn't respond to their yeah, call yeah. or, you know, and whatever. anything else is a facade anyway. Anything else is not yeah. true and then that's not counterproductive either, I think, for yeah. people watching on or for yourself, like you said. I want to yeah. ask the question because I know that you've said that you yourself asking yourself and getting other people to ask, who am I? 
as a question is so important. Why? Why is asking that question, can that create a turning point for people? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that was one of the biggest turning points for me. So, um, you know, when I got to that rock bottom, you know, and I had to realise that I had to sort of start again and rebuild from rock bottom. So the, the original name for the book came from a quote by J.K. Rowling's, uh, which was rock bottom was the foundation upon which I rebuilt my life, I think it is. So you didn't want um, to go with Yaz, the only way is up. <laughs> that's, that's mine. I think, you know, oh, this is a bad day. Okay, Yaz, yeah. Yaz has got it for me. Yeah, yeah nice. no, J.K. Right. Rowling's probably got a bit more so, gravitas. Yes, sorry, carry on. There you go. So, so that was, you know, that was my kind of, uh, my quote that the book came from. But what I realised when I got to that rock bottom was that, yeah, I really did have to look after myself. And, and as cliched as it sounds, I did have to, love myself first um, and I had to get back into a position of being more empathetic and more understanding of myself. So rather than beating myself up and expecting it all to happen so quickly and that I should know everything, I should be able to do everything, was just being more empathetic of where I was at and what had happened and and understanding that I was 50% responsible for what happened, not 100% responsible mm. for what happened in terms of you know the relationship and all those sort of things. And, and so that then caused me to really then focus on, well, who am I? You know, how much of this have I been doing for other people? You know, how much of my goals are for other people? How much of my life, my day, my hours spent, my energy spent is for other people? Yeah. Because, you know, I realised that, you know, when you're in that rock bottom, you just, you don't have the energy for that. But, but also, you know, if you want to rebuild, if you want to figure out what your purpose is again, and like I said, I felt like I'd totally lost my purpose then I couldn't do that until I knew who I was, you know, and if I was kind of lying to myself about who I was, and it's not sort of consciously lying to myself, but subconsciously mm. lying to myself about who I was and, you know, taking on board other people's expectations and other people's rules and all those sort of things, I wasn't really honest with, and, and honesty is just such a massive part of it, but I wasn't honest with myself about who I was. And so then it, if you don't know who you are, then there's no possible way of figuring out what your purpose is or who you want to bring into your life or what goals you want to have or any of those other things because it's not until you're really honest with yourself about who you are and what you want that you can then start adding on those other layers. your book, do you use it as, I haven't seen it yet, but do you use it as a, I'm as a guide it. for I'm other people? I know, I've I'm got to go to her office because I think there's a pile of books this high that <laughs> I might like be able three. to steal some. But three, <laughs> yeah. big, big fat ones. Yeah, do you use it as a sort of a guide for other people that might find themselves at rock bottom or is it just yeah. telling your story so that people might get some inspiration from that? Yeah, it's both. So it's sort of my story littered through the whole book. And then along with that, you know, this is what I did. You know, this is what didn't work for me. This is what did work for me. And then sort of some action steps. So I said, well, you know, if you want to try this bit, then this is how you can go about doing it. And so it has, yeah, action steps all the way through in each of the chapters about sort of how to do what I did or, you know, action steps perhaps that you can modify to make them work for yourself as well because, you know, we're all so different. And, you know, the, the way you recover from rock bottom is going to be different for everybody. You know, I think there's going to be some really common themes that can come through that, which we talk about in the book. But I think, you know, it's intended as a, you know, as a guide rather than a mm. rote, you know, do How this, to, then do this, then yeah, do this. Yeah. Uh, because you know, everyone, everyone is so different. So I try to be sort of very um, humble in that, that regard the, and understand that there's not one way. No. I think the point is you telling a story and people being able to relate to a story, you know, mm. a bit of me too. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, that's, I think, so powerful and a lot of, you know, motivational speakers and, and mentors will now tell us, tell your story. You know, mm. your story yeah, is yeah. unique to you. Mm. People will be, 
their attention will come to you or gravitate to you when you are A, vulnerable and B, tell a story that they can relate to and then they also look at you and go, oh, you're a normal person. Yeah, you came through it. You know? I think it's important for guys too because I know that women are probably more inclined to read a book that a man wrote about their experience whereas I think a lot of men will go, oh, that's that's for right, that's sure. for a chick. So, sure. But a, a guy telling his story about it might resonate more. Yeah, definitely. I wonder, is there... For those people that are listening, and we can stay in rock bottom for a long mm-hmm. time when we don't have the tools to just start to create something different. Is there one thing that they could do, you know, that you found yourself either consciously or unconsciously doing? Because sometimes we do something when we're at that bottom point or that point where we feel like there's a point of no return. And there yeah. is this one thing that happens that in hindsight you can look back and go, yeah, well, actually I did that and mm. that actually yeah. got me to where I am now. That started the momentum of where I am now. Is there a standout? Is there something? Yeah. That, yeah. There's probably a few of them. There's, there's a number of them I talk about in the book. But the one that sort of stands out to me when you asked that question was one of the things I did was when I was sort of feeling in that rock bottom and I was sort of lamenting, particularly this, the sort of loss of the relationship, and, and I was really feeling that. And, and what I actually did was I sat down and I wrote out a list of all of the things I was craving um, and all of the things I was missing, you know. And so that was everything from, you know, conversation to physical touch to going to the movies to going out dancing, like, you know, a whole range of different things, all of these things that I just felt like I was missing out on. And it sort of dawned on me that, you know, A, it wasn't a very healthy place to be. And if I was, you know, feeling like I was missing out on all of these things, B, if, you know, if ever I want to get a relationship again, then, you know, coming into a relationship with these, you know, incredibly needy needs <laughs> wasn't going to be a helpful way for that to, you know, sort of move forward either. And then C, it, it was sort of a way of giving myself that sort of self-love that I spoke about. And so what I did was I wrote this list of all the things I wanted and then I wrote on the second sort of side of the page a list of all of the ways I could give those things to myself, which led to some you know, really kind of some great, some weird, some funny uh, solutions that I came up with. Um, so, so things like, and I always get embarrassed by sharing some of these, but I always do in the sort of context of trying to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I would go out dancing by myself. So I would literally, I wasn't drinking at the time. So <laughs> I love it. It was three in the morning, literally like with my eyes closed on a dance floor, just dancing and just like loving it. You know, I would go to the movies by myself and realize that I actually love going to the movies by myself, Mm -hmm. like with no one there to go, what's going on with the plot line? Who's that guy? You know, (laughs) you should just sit and enjoy the movie. And it's absolutely wonderful. Probably the most embarrassing one that I always share is that I bought myself a massive bolster pillow. Um, so I was missing, you know, physical touch and hugs and I was literally going to bed every night <laughs> with this massive pillow. bolster pillow, big hug, and that actually made a massive difference to me. Uh, wow. There was just something about that that just made me feel sort of whole and loved and, and like everything was okay. And so that's what I did. Uh, and so, yeah, so I made a list and, and I found ways to give those things to myself. And it's funny that I think more even than the act of whatever it was that I was doing was the thought process behind it yeah. and the thought process of like, what do I really want and how can I give that to myself is a very loving thought to have for yourself. And, and I think that was just the start of that sort of self-love that allowed me to rediscover myself. You know, I, I can literally remember like the first stage of that kind of rediscovering myself was, was as I did start to sort of feel a bit more love and empathy for myself. I, I can remember literally just one day having this light bulb moment and it it sounds so ridiculous but I had this light bulb moment where I was like I can still be a good dad even though I'm divorced 
And, mm. and for some reason, that was obviously this like subconscious thing that I told myself that you couldn't be and, you know, probably, you know, pick that up subconsciously all over the place in, in the world around me. And it's just like, this kind of just dawned on me like, oh, I don't have to throw that whole sort of purpose I had in the bin. I just need to like remodel it. You know, mm. it just looks a little bit different now mm. and that's totally okay. And, and I just remember that being just like, that was kind of like the start of like, okay, like I, I know what to do now, you know, and I know I can start moving forward now, which was really cool. That's so good on you. Yeah, that's so insightful too. I think that's, and that's something that a lot of people can relate to is that through a broken or a, any relationship that's strained or you decide to go separate ways, that there still can be good that comes out of that. I think we're mm. conditioned to think that it's it's failed and it's not failed. It's just run its course um, yeah. and it's reframing how we see things. But we've been told the same thing yeah. over and over and over again as, as especially our generation, our parents telling us that, that you know, labelling it a failed oh, marriage, just bad. like it's not yeah, failed. Yeah. It just did what it ran its course and failing would be sometimes staying. So, you know, reframing, it's just what works for you and what you need. I wonder also, I know we're running out of time, but through your experience, has it allowed you to recognize when other people are at their worst? And you how know, do you how it? do you approach that mm. now? And maybe someone listening can see that in someone that they love, but they're not sure how to actually approach that. Because also one of the things that often we don't want is the solution. We just want to be told Everybody it's going to be okay. Everybody wants to give it though, don't they? Everyone wants to yeah. give you a solution. Why don't you do this? You yes. should do that. Yes, yeah. but it's like yeah. I know for me, I started framing things as I, um, this is what I need from you. Like people would, I actually started saying, I just need you to tell me. It's going to be okay. That's all I need right now. And I didn't do that with everybody, but I did it with close people, especially males. Males want to fix it, right? They want to come in and they want to fix it for us as women. And so many of the men in my life, they would get angry. It's a caveman thing. It is. It's okay. But Mm. knowing that, once you know that, I was able to say, I don't need you to fix this. I just need you to listen or I need you to say it's okay or I don't actually need you to do anything. But I feel like that's valuable for other people to hear, but is there something that we could be doing? And I, maybe it's just listening. I don't know. Do you have any yeah. insights no, on that? I, I, absolutely. I 100% agree on everything you've just said and I can totally relate to all of it. And, you know, when I was in that position, I just, like, I'm quite introverted by nature. And so I just wanted to sit in my own little bubble and figure all out in my own head. And I didn't want to be messaged. I didn't want to, you know, I can remember at one stage, I just decided that I'm just going to do this big social media post about this is where I'm at, you know, this is what's happened because people just kept asking me and wanting to know what's <laughs> happening. I was like, this is what's happening and I don't need you to do anything. I just need some space and I'm figuring it out, you know. Mm. But I think, yeah, definitely I've got way more empathy towards other people. Like I definitely, I think prior to this, would have been the fixer who <laughs> would have been like, how can I, yeah, try this, do this, read this, you know, I've got all these tools I'm just going to throw at you and, you know, bombard you with. But I think definitely now I'm much more likely just to, you know, pick up the phone or probably not even pick up the phone because even that I think can be too much. Just send someone a little message and just say, are you okay? Mm. Yeah. And really like people don't need you to do anything. Most of the time they don't need anything other than to know that you're there mm. yeah. and that you're, you're willing to help, you know. So can I help? Like, are you okay? Can I help? Yeah. And no suggestion of what you're going to do to help. No suggestion of anything. It's just like, I'm here for you. Here's my solution need, plan. Let me know. Yeah. You know, and that's it. And that, and that is the best feeling as someone who is at rock bottom is just for someone to say, hey, I'm here. I and think also one other thing that could be useful is because I, you know, innately we might do that. 
and then we forget to follow up because mm. we get busy yeah. with our own lives. And then so something I try and do because I'm pretty bad at following up is actually put a reminder in my phone maybe for like four or five days later or a week later, touch base with such and such again because yep. I feel like that's something that happens in the moment when there's drama. That's true. People are there wanting yeah. to know, wanting to help, uh, whether they want to know, whether they want to help, whatever. But yep. I think follow the follow-up, when someone actually thinks of you after the fact, is so healing to think that somebody actually... It's like every, with everything. It's like if you've lost somebody or if yes. you have a baby or, yes. you know, yeah. you start it's a new job or it's a follow-up. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the, and, your and real friends are those that. ones. Because, yeah, like, you know, the first week you get bombarded with mm. messages. You know, everyone wants to know what's going on. And not, many of them didn't follow up. And, and much of that was probably to do with the way I responded, you know, in that I didn't want people to be following up. You know, I didn't really want to be answering a thousand questions or whatever. And so, but yeah, two of my really dear friends, Kim Morrison and JC Prima, who's a chiropractor in Newcastle, and, and they both uh, were just amazing in that regard. You know, they both showed me you know, how this could be done better and how this could be done well. And, and so I think, mm. you know, having, having had that support, and, and once again, you know, I s- totally feel now having had that love and support from those two in particular, but, you know, many others as well, but those two are the, the ones I talk about in my book that really stand out. And having had that love and support from them, like I, once again, I really do feel an obligation to pay that forward. Like yeah. I just know how much that just saved me, you know, like that, how important that was to me and how important that is to me being where I am right now, mm. that I just wouldn't be in the same position without those two. And so, um, yeah, that definitely now has changed the way I go about doing it. You know, I think I learned a lot of lessons from those two. And, you know, and most of the time, you know, there, there were times from both of them where they sort of hit me between the eyes when mm. I needed it, You're a tough one. Um, which is once again, something that a wonderful friend can do, you know, and and I, th- I think I talk about it in the book and I say, you know, the, the reason though that like Kim told me to harden the F up at one stage, <laughs> she's just like, which is like, she's the kindest, yes. most loving person. I she's never She's a semi-regular. I was going to say her. that. Semi-regular. I was waiting for him to finish. I'm like, yep. yep, there's another semi-regular. Yep. Anyway, go keep talking. <laughs> yeah. And so she did. She told me that and I didn't expect it from her. Like she's the mm. last person I would have thought would have said it. Uh, but the reason she could say it is that she'd been there and she'd been so loving and so kind that I 100% knew it was coming from the right place yeah. and that she'd invested enough time, effort and energy to know that that was the right time to say it and do it. And mm-hmm. it was perfect timing and it made a massive difference to me sort of getting out of my pity party and, and starting to move forwards again. And so, you know, it's not always about, you know, sunshine and rainbows, but <laughs> I, I think for the most part, yeah, just just being there is the most important thing. Yeah, I, love it. I like so it too. So true, isn't it? I think it's it's difficult because people are very busy too. So I think mm. if you've got, you know, you might have people that you expect will be the ones that are there for you and they might not be. And that can be hard as well. But the ones that step up, they're, they're only there because they want to be. Yeah. I think that's one thing. If someone, no matter what it is, if someone offers you help or their ear, it's because they want to. Mm. Or assistance, Definitely. yeah. Definitely. I think people so don't true. like taking assistance, but if someone offers. People like to help too. Yeah. Brett. Thank you so much again for joining us today. Where can people find your book? Yep. So if they just go to rockbottombook.com.au. Oh, that's easy. Uh, that's good. I like it. it. That's like cutting out any of the, <laughs> the bits that are in between that you don't need to worry about. But I, I bet if you yeah. search it, you'll find it as well. Well, thank Fantastic. you so much for joining us again. When you're ready to share some new insights, just, you know, let us know. You that's can right. come back again. Semi-regular. <laughs> Love to. Let's go for three. I know, right? 
I love the insights when other people have had, obviously, experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is different when you've been through something. It's a bit like, you know, the sleep trainer who's never had children teaching (laughs) us how to... (laughs) You know, you need a bit of life experience, I think, behind us when it comes to the right advice and and sharing, Mm -hmm. you know, Information because of a, it's a place of experience, not a place of research. I'm not talking about the male gynecologist again, are we? Because we always get no. in trouble if we say that. No, but I think there's an element. <laughs> well, no, there's an element. I of get being in trouble. You do. Human. Um, yes. But I think also, you know, I'm seeing this a lot. This new Clubhouse app. Let's just talk about that for a second because everybody's talking about it. But there's a lot of experts on there mm-hmm. telling people what to do, and I feel like that that can be a slippery slope because. A, you don't know their circumstances yet. Mm -hmm. You're receiving advice from people that you've never met before. Mm -hmm. Individual advice. Like people are on there giving individual advice about business. And I'm like, oh, this this could be a disaster. Especially you've got some well-known high-profile person that's a role model giving Joe Blow over here who's just started (laughs) his business three weeks ago advice. And I'm like, oh, you don't even know the ins and outs of this. So I think experience and... Yeah, there's just so much to be said for that. The internet is a very interesting place, isn't it? And also I think, like you said, this whole thing about getting rock bottom and that example there is you have Mm. to choose who you listen to. Oh, yes, definitely. There's so much noise. You actually have to work out what suits you and who resonates with you. I think when you're actually at that point of rock bottom, though, you're like, I don't have room for anyone that I don't have room for right now. So. You know, you do, you do filter that out oh, a little yes, bit better, yes. I guess. Everyone's got advice. Yes, they do. I'd say the Wellness Collective's advice is the best, though. Oh, yes. 130 oh, yes. episodes well, strong. I mean, there's Start something here. for everyone. Start Just here. about. Uh, we are actually <gasps> really in need of some reviews. We you, do not have any new reviews you're manifesting the them right now? I am. Mm, I am putting mm. that out there to just invite people in. Go and leave us a review. Tell us your favourite episode or which part of an episode that you liked or a guest that you really loved. Yep. Um, and share the love too. And then, you know, don't don't be afraid to pay it forward. If there's an episode that you love, make sure you share it with people that... Oh, absolutely. And if you have any suggestions, we have got some amazing guests coming up this Mm. year. I'm so excited about getting back in the studio and hopefully having a reasonably normal and inverted commas year. So let's see how we go. Well, yes, we are award winning after all. That's right. See if we can ratchet up to a gold. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for joining us today. Some great insight into vulnerability today. And if this has resonated with you and you need some assistance, you want to talk to someone, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Don't forget. Listener.